from the Office of Student Research at Roosevelt University. This is The Theory Club. Hello, hello, hello. Emily, how you doing? I'm doing great. Highly enjoying my summer. Yes, all right. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to this first episode of The Theory Club, or rather, this first episode of season two. We're so excited mm -hmm. to be back for our summer season. We are living it up in the city. Um, it's nice and warm and humid outside. It is hot <laughs> here in Chicago. Um, yeah, but it is really hot. <laughs> But we are enjoying it. We've had a good summer so far. Emily and I have had, you know, a beach day. We're living our, yes. our fully vaccinated, safe, outside, socially distanced life. Loving it. So um, it's been a nice summer so far. Although Emily is bogged down with some summer classes, unfortunately. Um, it was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, actually, the reason why I'm doing two summer like gen ed classes is so when I get to like my junior and senior year for um, my undergrad that I can fit in like an extra theory course after I do my basic ones. <laughs> so it's actually a good idea. It's just a lot of work. <laughs> of course it is. Of course. Um, but yeah, so we're we're having a great summer doing our theory thing and we're excited to continue recording the podcast. This season, what you can look forward to is we're kind of having like a women themed, yeah, like a women themed season of the podcast. So we'll be talking about composers that are women. We have a lot of American music scheduled. We didn't yeah. need to plan that, but I guess we're both just interested in American music. So we're, we're going to talk about um, music by women composers. We're going to have some great guests that are women on the pod and talk about feminist musicology, things like that. So uh we're really excited to get into it and just kind of we didn't when we started planning the season we didn't quite plan that we just realized that all the women that we wanted to ask were all women and that all the music <laughs> that we wanted to talk about was by women and so then it just kind of turned into like oh we're gonna lean into like having a women themed season so yeah. yeah we're really we're excited to get to it Today we are specifically going to be talking about a Jennifer Higdon piece. Um, this is a piece that Emily's familiar with, a composer that Emily's familiar with. I had never heard of this woman before Emily brought her up. So I'm glad to be, you know, introduced to her huge body of work. She's written so much music. I was yeah. overwhelmed today when I was like, you know, uh, doing a deep dive on her website and, you know, looking her up on YouTube and listening to some things. So um, Emily, can you give us a little bit of a, a background on Jennifer Higdon? Yeah, well, interestingly, you can't really go into like, you know, how you talk about like Beethoven or something and be like, oh, well, he started piano when he was five or something like that. A whole long story of teenage years because she actually began music by teaching herself flute at age 15. So. Oh, <laughs> that's how wow. that really resonated with me too when I learned that because like I, I I know we talked about it in the first episode like I started very late for a violinist and just in general 
majority of classical musicians start when they're younger. And so like to learn about this woman who's so successful and started by teaching herself an instrument at age 15 is just like amazing to me. And yeah, then obviously she began like her actual formal studies when she turned 18 um, and went to school. Um, but how I got like familiar with this piece was, um, and when I was in the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestras, this was my senior year of high school. And it was actually one of the first pieces that we played there, um, also on the audition list too. So, and it, it, it was quite interesting because I've never played like such contemporary music like that before. So I brought the music, fun enough, there's just so many connections in the music world because I, I brought the music to my private violin teacher at the time and I was like, hey, this is my audition music. I've never played music like this before. There's so many fast 16th notes, please help me. And he looks at it and he's like, oh no, I know this piece like Jennifer Higdon. Like we, um, at one of the orchestras that he's in, he's like, oh yeah, we commissioned a piece by her. And you know, like I, I talked to her a bit and we met and we actually became really close friends. Like it was like crazy because she's like so famous. And like, we really became friends. We're friends on Facebook. We talk all the time and I'm like, Oh my God, like you're literally friends with this woman. Like if I have questions about the music, he could like just text her and be like, hey, so for the violins, like it was just so crazy, like with all the connections and stuff. And then um, when we were kind of talking about like morphing like the season into like a woman themed um, season, I was like trying to think of different ideas of like what I know, because unfortunately most of my experience in classical music. We, we played much by female composers. I think this was probably the first one. And so one of my friends recently, who's like a composition major, he went to like this composition sort of um, summer camp. It was virtual. And he kind of like studied partially with her. And so like hearing about his experience when he posted on Facebook, I was like, oh yeah, like, no, I just played that piece by her. And like, it was really amazing. And she's a wonderful example of just like being totally different. I actually just last night listened to like an interviewer. She talks about like how she wants her music to be so different than all the other types of music. Like she wanted her violin concerto to be totally different than all the other violin concertos. And her experience in music is totally different than the, you know, common path that most musicians take in their um, teenage years. And so, yeah, right away I was like, oh, Jennifer Higdon, like we, we have to talk about her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's the thing. That's the thing about the fact that it takes so long often for, for musicians and performers to encounter music by women, right? And that's a part of that's a part of music academia and a part of conservatory culture and it's and recital requirements, right? Like mm -hmm. it's the fact that well, you have to play th these pieces from these time periods because that's a part of, of the way that music education has been structured, right? We have our 12 guys that you need to know in order to be considered a real musician, right? How can you call yourself a real musician if you don't know this about Beethoven, this about Mozart? this about Schubert, this about Bach, right? And it's like, sit down, sit down. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I truly, because it, it, it's so arbitrary who gets picked and who doesn't, right? And rooted, right, in, in 
like white supremacy, right? Who gets picked and who doesn't and rooted in patriarchy, who gets picked and who doesn't. Um, and it just, that's why I just feel like recital requirements shouldn't exist. Like, I, I know that that's kind of an outlandish and radical thing to say. And the, like, <laughs> the politically correct thing to say would probably to be to say that we should loosen recital requirements, right? Because we just can't, we can't just let students run wild and pick whatever pieces they want to put on their recital because they'll only do, what if they're only into modern stuff and they'll just do a whole recital of modern stuff and then they won't do anything from the classical era, which would be what, catastrophic in some way? I don't understand. What's going to happen to me if I don't sing something from the Baroque era? What, right? Like, I I personally don't think that my education would be lacking by me getting trained in the music that I actually want to do. Like, and as a student who goes to recitals, like, you would get to see what your friends are actually interested in pursuing and you get introduced mm -hmm. to all this great music, I would have been able to go to your recital where you do a Jennifer Higdon piece. And I would have been like, wow, I would have never known about this composer if Emily wasn't interested in her. And if Emily wasn't, you know, was allowed to pursue doing this type of music. So like, I really feel like, again, you have to ask what the job of, of of recital, what recital requirements are supposed to accomplish and what music educators are supposed to accomplish. Are they supposed to prepare you in the music that's just like supposed to be prepared, right? And that is decided by who, hmm? right? Like when was that decided? Hmm? <laughs> are we gonna say that's not problematic <laughs> at all, right? But, or is it their job to prepare you to do what you want to do, right? And to allow you the agency as an adult <laughs> to pick what you want to do like you're an adult you should you should get to decide what music engages you and get to pursue that and hopefully you have the resources and the teachers available to you to educate you about that music right like one of the things that really drew me to studying at Roosevelt is that there are black voice teachers Right? Because during my undergrad, I wanted to do like a, a set of spirituals. There wasn't a black teacher on the faculty that I would, right? I don't know that I would have wanted to study. Christine, if you're listening, I love you. Um, but I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have wanted Christine to, to, oh, maybe I'll have to get this out. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Christine is like, adore her. <clears throat> love her she's such an incredible teacher but that's different from like wanting to go to her for help about specifically singing black classical music that's not what that's not what her role is in my education and that's fine but that's why it's important for me to be at an institution and for institutions to value different types of teachers from different backgrounds with different expertise so that students do have access to people who are interested and trained in the music that they are interested in right so if i wanted to get into like chinese art song right there was no one at there's no one at roosevelt that's you know <laughs> equipped to you know get if that mm -hmm. makes sense i don't know i feel like we really need to give students more credit again as 
adults and as thinkers and decision makers and um, current and future musicians, you deserve the agency to decide what music engages you and you should be allowed the ability to pursue that music and not get bogged down by all of the shoulds as far as like, well, you should know about Chopin. So you have to do this thing before you can get to the stuff that you actually want to do. Like so much of being a musician is doing so much that you don't want to do until you get to a point in your career where you're famous enough or you have the resources and the funds to do the things that you actually want to do and that's annoying why can't you do what you want to do all the time I just (laughs) I was gonna say yeah like for recital requirements you could argue that the reason that they're there is because they want to make sure you don't pick solely like modern music or just one area um, that they want you to expand upon that, but is it really expanding upon it if like we're only allowed to choose from like Baroque males, classical males, like <laughs> it's it like contradicts itself, which is it funny, but not funny. Does. Again, that's why I don't feel like, I feel like loosening recital requirements doesn't honor and give dignity to the fact that students can pick, and I mean like sure their teachers will guide them and like oh maybe don't pick all of the same thing or let's make sure you pick things that challenge you in different ways right and that show Mm -hmm. off your different skills and technical abilities but that's different from like requiring certain eras or requiring that's those are two different things you know what i'm saying i just you already have to take the music history and all the things like we know we know about beethoven stop <laughs> we can stop I feel like so you know and and there are people there are musicians that are going to be drawn to that stuff absolutely right I think another fear of people in defense of recital requirements and such a strict curriculum around um you know the same how many however many composers 12 or 15 composers that are all men it's kind of like right again that that idea of like oh well if we just let students do whatever then no one will pick Beethoven and no one will pick the Bach and no one will pick the Mozart and that's just not true that's just not true right because so much of the classical zeitgeist like so much of classical music that is popular and that shows up in movies and tv shows and commercials and things like that like we are inundated with the same composers all the time people hear it and and i think in a lot of cases that's how people are drawn into classical music right like i think we can save all of the whatever we're choosing to call basic music history right fundamental music history and stuff like that can be saved for uh younger people like children who are learning to play their instruments sure (laughs) tell them give them all the historical history of Mozart and things like that and then when you're an adult and you're at conservatory and you're 18 19 20 or you're doing your master's or whatever I think you should be afforded a lot more freedom you know you know about the the standard guys that should be the time where you do explore modern music or you do explore women composers or you do explore you know world music or whatever you're interested in college is the time to do that it's not the time to continue to 
push the same narrative of the same composers. We've been new. We've been listening to them. We've been playing them. Let's move on to the next thing and let's give our students the the choice to move on to the next thing because not every not all of them will right some people really like Beethoven they're like yeah that's what I'm interested in playing that's what I'm interested in studying or writing about or researching like that's great we don't have to worry about what's going to happen to Beethoven he's fine he's going to be fine (laughs) we celebrate his birthday right there are festivals Europe's got them right if they're listen if they're an Austro-Germanic male composer they're fine we don't have to they probably have a statue it's fine so like let's move on to the next thing right I just I don't I I'm fascinated by by the way that we praise um composers and the way that praise is monetized and I don't know it's is this episode about to get me in some hot water I don't know I don't know. I might cut some things out. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, just in general about her, like getting into her career, I, I also kind of read about like how her dad, who was a nurse and this kind of, again, kind of relates to me just because I'm the only musician in my family and her dad, not knowing anything about music, um, but didn't necessarily like see pursuing art position as a difficult career for her. So he never really presented that barrier, you know, where people are like, you want to go into music, but like, what else are you going to do? You know, where people kind of like say that, like, how are you going to make money from that? And her, her father more of like encouraged her. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, go for it. Like you'll be successful in it. And she even like directly said, I never had that fear or had that like barrier set where I'm like, can I really do this? Or what if it fails? And then like, I'll just, you know, end up having to do something else. I won't be able to make it. She never really had that thought process. And I, I always wonder like what it would be like if we, well, she's a good example of that. If you don't have that barrier and those like fears set in place from like adults in your life about, will you be successful in this field or not? Most likely not, you know, like how that would, affect your learning and going to like conservatory and like you know because I so far and oh gosh I could get a whole thing about this especially with violinists having so much tension and like injury and where that comes from is the fear of not being good enough especially I, I just know from so many of my violinist friends and even I've had teachers tell me in the past that like when they were in school and they had like such tough teachers that this was before like we kind of you know settled into like a better teacher-student relationship where they would just tell their students like no you're not good enough you're never going to make it you need to do more this and like that mindset would cause so much tension and create injury and then eventually like if it hindered the students so badly they wouldn't be able to get like an orchestra job or they wouldn't be able to really pursue what they could have because they had that barrier and that like initial mindset so I think it's so interesting how she never even thought about that there was never even a concern of like this is really difficult, like a difficult field to get into and to, for who makes it and who doesn't. And clearly it did her well. <laughs> she didn't need to like start playing music when she was like five and have like all this formal experience. She didn't need that. She just needed that clear mindset and to be able to compose the types of music that she wanted to compose. So yeah, I love that background about her. Do you feel like 
when you started playing, did you kind of have those doubts as far as like what making it looks like for you or am I going to be able to do this? Or did you have people in your life that were like, ah, maybe you shouldn't? Well, um, I don't think, okay. I did tell some of my teachers about like my past teachers about this podcast, but one of them that I told, I don't think that that person listens to it. So I think I can say this because that person will know that it's them that I'm talking about. But my second year into violin, I had no doubts at all. I literally thought, funny, I thought I was like the greatest violinist in the world when I was in seventh grade and had started just because I loved it much. I was practicing so much. I didn't really see, I didn't like know the entire path to becoming like anything in music. So I, I just, I didn't really have any attention. I just thought I could do anything. And then we had like a like parent-teacher conference for our school, you know, like in our music program in eighth grade. And that's where my teacher um, in the school setting, not like a private teacher, but like in the school setting, she thought, she recognized that I wanted to go into music and I played violin, which is a competitive string instrument. And she spent most of the session trying to convince me to switch to viola if I wanted to make it, in her words. <laughs> so, and I literally, I literally left so angry. It's like, you can't just, someone who loves violin so passionately, you can't say, well, viola is like a secondhand sort of violin thing and you have a better chance of making it. So do that. Like I loved violin because of its higher sounds. I love violin just because I heard it like most of my life and always been something I wanted to do. Like it meant more to me than just like being in music. And viola also has its own unique, special, like warm kind of sound. Like you can't, and then that's where I started to develop like those doubts, like thinking, well, my school teacher said the only chance I really have is if I work hard on viola, but she doesn't see it possible if I do violin. So I knew that I already had someone that kind of doubted it for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But luckily my private teachers were extremely encouraging. They were honest with me and said, you know, your technique is not there um for, for your age too we're gonna try to you know unlearn some things that you you know learned incorrectly it's gonna take time and patience and I was glad they were honest you know that it was gonna take a while but they didn't like ever really give up on me or say it was gonna be impossible they were always extremely encouraging gave me all the information I needed so that was helpful to have private teachers that were so encouraging even though we knew the the path was difficult um but they never once told me you should play viola like <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty wild. I mean, I only started playing viola instead of like, cause I did want to play violin. Um, but when we went to buy one, like me and my, my mother, when we like went to buy one and I was like eight, right? So I just saw an orchestra was like, yeah, I want to, I want to play that. Right. Told, not really understanding violin viola I was like whatever if it has strings on it like give me let me try right <laughs> so we go to like pick up the, <laughs> the violin and buy one and my mom was like you gotta be you gotta think like cheaper and like you know I just want to because I listen Lydia was a bit of a quitter I'm gonna be honest past Lydia was a bit of a quitter right we tried dance we tried sports we try you know and she does it for a couple weeks and then she quits so when I went to my mom and was like, I really want to play violin. She was like, yeah, yeah. Right. right. Like, <laughs> you know, she just wasn't really trying to like invest a lot, you know, in the startup costs in case 
you know, I did it for like a year mm-hmm. and then decided I didn't want to do it anymore. But I was like, I swear, mom, I, I'm not going to quit. I'll never do anything else but practice. I promise. So then she takes me and we go to pick out a violin. And, you know, she's like, you got anything cheaper? And the guy was like, I mean, she can like play viola. <laughs> because those tend to be cheaper and like if she sticks with it she'll probably get like good scholarships and stuff which is true and again eight-year-old me did not care so I started playing viola and then you know over the first couple of years like really fell in love with the sound so that was really like my origin story as far as like picking I wasn't like I can't wait to be a viola specifically it was just like I just like to play a stringed instrument and cello looks intimidating to me I was intim- I was you know small and I was like that looks big I don't I'm nervous so I just I wanted to play like a handheld string instrument and you know viola just happened to be the thing that my mom was like, yeah, let's do that. So we did it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's wild to me that you actually had a teacher that was like, you're not going to make it, which means you, your best chance is to try it. What an insult to Viola. And you see, stop coming for Viola. <laughs> Viola's beautiful. Stop. <laughs> and you see, it's interesting. You could argue, oh, she was just being honest with you. You know, she wanted the best for you and for your future. Would that really be wanting the best? Or did that hinder me more compared to my private teachers who told me, you know what, you're a little bit behind. You kind of learn things incorrectly. We're going to have to scale back and fix these things. And then we can move forward. Like, which thing did I take better? Which honest, like honesty was better in that situation, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm, I, you know, because I've had, as far as like, did I ever think there, I didn't have doubts when I started playing. I didn't have a moment of like, oh no, like what if I am not going to get into an orchestra or what if I can't get a teaching job or what if I, like when I was from the time I started playing through high school, I was like, this is what I'm doing. And even when I started singing and decided that I wanted to do opera I never when I was 18 you could not have told me that I was not going to be an opera singer right and I've always yeah because I've always just felt more certain about music than anything else I've never really similar to Jennifer Higdon I've never really had a moment of like can I do this is this going to be okay I guess until you know my time at Roosevelt kind of questioning performance but that's not because of my abilities that's because the field is the field is hostile right like so those are different critiques it's not about me it's about like oh no like am I going to enjoy it but it's interesting to me I've I've literally only had like one professor who when I started thinking about music academia who was straight up like as soon as I kind of expressed this to her she instantly was like listen but if you're not all in on opera, you're not going to make it, right? Like one full full stop. She was like, I was like, I, I don't know. I might like apply for my PhD. And she was like, if you do, you're going to, you can kiss your dreams of being an opera singer goodbye. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Which, you know, she cleared it up and we talked about it. And I totally see that what she was saying, which you know, even if it came off harsh in that moment, I really appreciate her honesty because Mm -hmm. she was saying in order again, to make it to a certain level, like the level that I was envisioning, right. I was envisioning Lydia at the Metropolitan Opera in New York. Right. And that is like a single minded one track thing. 
you can't have multiple things if that's going to be your goal, right? If your goal is to be like the next American opera singer and you're like getting a PhD in something else on the side or you're interested in doing something outside of music or you're, but that's not, that's not quite going to work, right? Like all of your time, all of your money, all of your resources really need to go to pursuing that, that goal. And so why that conversation was clarifying for me was to realize, oh, okay, then that just doesn't need to be the dream then because I want to pursue this other thing and I want to have both, right? I'm selfish. I want to do both performance and music academia. And if that means that I can't get to a certain level of music performance, that's a compromise I'm willing to make, right? In order to have music theory, like, I, I like both. I'm not, I'm no longer willing to like have one at, at the expense of the other, right? I want to find a way in my future career to, to have both. So now we're going to get into listening to and discussing the piece. This is Fanfare Ritmico by Jennifer Higdon. started with the counting don't even <laughs> that was the one time i was thrilled to not be concert master also for the solo the solo the the two solos actually that came in for the violin were like not too like the notes weren't too technically challenging it was fitting it in with the orchestra we all solo to audition with it and i know that was the one time i did not want to be concert master and also because it was my first time playing like that type of music like that was all brand new to me it was absolutely crazy yeah I mean okay so the the when I first listened to this piece when you first sent it to me I thought that it was interesting but I didn't have too much to say upon like my first listening to it and then like as I listened again and again and again I'm not joking I probably listened to it like 15 times this morning just like on a loop and I had more that to say and that popped out to me the more that I listened to it to me it's interesting because it strikes me as quite similar motif wise to the Shostakovich so I'm wondering for you like what really draws you to like this type of music is it just like the experience that you have playing it or is there something about it because like especially the end with like the dig it dig it dig it and like this huge like fanfare finish it's the same as the sausage which was like the right that's like this so to me i was like oh i wonder is there something in particular that like makes this music really stand out for you Actually, yeah, I was just thinking about that this morning because um, when she kind of writes about the piece, she says like, it's a celebration of 
I think it was like rhythm and the speed of life to like how, as you know, like things change in the world and technology develops and just life for humans in general becomes much more demanding because of like this, you know, efficient technologies that we have. We do so much more, you know, than we could in the past. So I, I, I see, I can definitely see that in the music. And I think I relate to it so much on that level. Like my entire day, every day, 24 hours a day consists of, you know, tons of like practice. I'm working on three different solo pieces and techniques. And then I'm going over to prepare for the podcast and then I'm working on my social media pages and then I'm doing schoolwork and it's just like constant work, but I love it. And I also like, since that is such a part of my daily life and I do love it, like I'm okay that it takes time away maybe from going out with like friends and having fun all the time. I love it. And I see that reflected in those types of pieces. So playing Shostakovich, like that relates to like my everyday life, how I feel, it's hard to explain, but like how I feel like while I'm doing what I want to do in my life. And then I think I, I can see that in Higdon as well. And like when I started violin, this also kind of goes back. I always, you know, before the barriers were put up about viola, I always saw like, <laughs> I always saw like my feel generally like in music, like being working like 24 seven. Cause I was told, you know, like being a violinist, you know, you have to work really hard, but I loved it so much. That's what I had to do. So I, I had that initial mindset of like constant, like work and doing what I loved. And it, cause it was what I loved. I didn't mind doing all the work. And that's literally what the piece is about too. And yeah, it, it does relate to the Shostakovich. So I, okay. I think it just, the uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that puts a lot of it in context as you said that especially that it's like related to like the new digital age that we're in and the mm -hmm. fact that you can be constantly working because you have constant access to like the internet and so many people their work involves technology in some way or the internet in some way social media or something like that so then like the idea that like you can like constantly be have access to work and it might be harder for people to um really unplug or take breaks and in this like so there's like this bell section in the middle where there are like kind of these like tolling bells in the background and then the strings and like other instruments they're doing these rhythms and it's like the da -da 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 -da. and that's that's so interesting to me because I feel like I've heard that pop up so much in like media and in music around technology so like in tv shows or or in like a fast-paced mm -hmm. environment you always hear kind of that like da -da 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 -da. so you hear it you know on like you know the news right like the the, <laughs> the, the you know what I'm talking about like the jingles that like yeah the news and it's like da -da 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 you know like that sort of thing or like I don't know I don't know where else I think we just cracked the code Right? Hinton, like, we figured it out <laughs> that that you know that really explains the business I would be yeah fascinated to to see the score and to like actually try and do an analysis of it because yeah the the fact that she uses these really intentional rhythms and the way that and the meter I would love to see this live right I want to see a conductor conduct this that's what I'm trying to see. I'm trying to watch a conductor. <laughs> so like, that, you know, that is, you don't want to be yeah. in the orchestra trying to watch the conductor. It is so good music. <laughs>
might be the Sostakovich. It's very, it's very movie-like too. I wonder if I just have that kind of association with with like fanfare in general. But I would love to see this, you know, especially like towards the end, the ending section in like a right, like a Jurassic Park or like something really, you know, like an action sequence or an act, you know, like a Marvel thing, right? I I like Marvel movies a lot in part because of the music i'm fascinated by like movie scores and things like that so like i would love to see this right does it the end to me feels like a really great like final boss fight right like i'd love to see this in like a video game or something like that you yeah know what I mean? it's it's very action-packed well there is the one the one section i remember preparing this for the audition section I, i'd have to figure out the exact time where it is um I think it's about like two minutes or so in where um, it's pretty much for the whole orchestra. I know the violins are doing like a bunch of really loud, like fast 16th notes. And all of a sudden it goes to like a really quick piano. And I just remember, because hmm, usually that, that wasn't really a part of like classical music for me, at least my experience. We never had stuff that drastic and it was very difficult, like a difficult technique to learn. And um, me and one other student, and in my private violin teacher studio, we were both learning that piece because we were both in the orchestra and we we're both struggling with that section so much, like trying to learn that technique of doing like all those fast notes and having such a sudden piano. I think I think it was the part where there's like a bunch of fast 16 notes and all of a sudden it just goes to like quarter notes, like really piano, and then you have to get louder. That part really, it stood out to me. I, I found it really interesting because most of it is just loud and fast. And that was like one moment of like, piece and then it kind of grew back but i i do really like that moment even though it's hard to like technically achieve like trumpet that goes like so it's like the whole orchestra is like and then there's the trumpet that's like that's like a movie right like that is a motif that i want to see throughout a whole marvel movie that is incredible i'm obsessed obsessed and yeah like you like you were saying so much of it is so drastic like so many of the shifts it feels like a full a full like four movement symphony in seven minutes right, right. it has like yeah. so many different it's insane because you start with like the low like percussion it often goes back to that kind of low percussion there's the section with like the high piano like ostinato like just hitting the one note so that was really interesting to me then of course you have the fanfare sections kind of lower string sections I really like that section where there's like there's like bells in the, or like a glock like a glockenspiel in the back or something yeah. that section is interesting and I would really like to see that I don't know why I'm so like movie oriented today but I'm like oh I want to <laughs> see that in like a like a period piece like a Bridgerton you know what I'm saying like I want like weird <laughs> like um hmm. interesting yeah I I want to I want to see modern music that doesn't harken back to 
the classical era or whatever which I know obviously makes sense if you're doing like a period piece and it's taking place during like the classical era of music then you could have a new composer write music in that style and stuff like that but I would like I'm like I would love to see modern music inspired by modern music in like a period piece something like this in in yeah a piece that takes place in like the late 1800s or the early 1900s try to see some like Downton Abbey that's like scored by Jennifer Higdon I think that would be really fascinating okay do you have any more specific notes um those were all my notes okay I honestly think that's it for me I just thought we could maybe end with listening to like a few sample things that I found on her site because she I I am amazed right by how much music she has written during you know the times that she's been active as a composer and the variety for which she has written for this is why I'm so fascinated by modern music um because obviously as a vocalist sure I'm interested in listening to vocal music but I love listening to pieces that aren't just for like voice and piano, right? So pieces that have like another instrument added to it or don't have piano at all, right? And they're scored for voice and guitar or voice and clarinet or voice and saxophone, Um, you know, just like anything like that is really fascinating to me to see how voice can interact with other instruments and how the the timbres can interact. Mm Whatever I write down. And she and she writes a lot of music for like flute and a lot of music for harp that I think is really cool. A lot of wind ensemble stuff, which is music that I'm not yeah. used to listening to as a vocalist. So like love let me find it. She has this like it's like a wind choir song. Or like a flute flute choir. Are you ready for this? Oh my oh, goodness. <laughs> it is fascinating to me. Um, okay. I know all of our, all of our flute listeners are like, ah, it's just part of the, they're like, I don't, Lydia, calm down. But like, it, it's so exciting. Okay, here we go. So here's like a little sample of like the flute, a flute choir piece that she's written titled Amazing Grace. calming (laughs) literally i'm like oh it gives me like the same feeling as like all women's choirs right it's just so like ethereal and angelic and i love it there's also this really cool flute duet with piano so it's two flutes and piano
I've definitely right? heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Cause there's definitely some, you know, extended techniques like going on with the piano. So you hear like strumming. Mm-hmm. So they're probably like strumming inside. So cool. Right. Fascinating to me because, because I don't have experience doing it. Every time I see someone who can do it or, you know, hear music that's yeah, using these really cool extended techniques. I'm like, yeah, I would love to explore that. I just feel like, you know, like a, a sheltered child who's like, (laughs) (laughs) who moves out their freshman year and goes crazy, much like Emily. No, just kidding. She didn't. I, I, maybe I would have, if it wasn't COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Sophomore year, Emily might be a different Emily listeners. Get ready. Here she comes. (laughs) wow i just feel like we haven't done a solo episode in so long this is so fun i I love doing it thank you for doing this podcast with me emily yeah (laughs) We always have like the most interesting topics too that we like get to from like each solo episode. <laughs> um, okay, as you can see, listener, we're having fun. So thank you for having fun with us <laughs> and for listening and for coming back for the second season of The Theory Club. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, anything that you want us to talk about on the pod, you could send it to thetheoryclubpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on the Instagram at thetheoryclub underscore podcast. Yes, and now we have a Facebook group page. So if you'd like to so-called be a member of the Theory Club, you can join the club on Facebook. So it's, it's like a group page. I know originally we had just a page, but it's a group. So if you just search up Theory Club on Facebook, you can just click join group and join any discussions or uh, just stay up to date with what episodes are coming out. Ah, Emily, the social media manager. We're living. (laughs) We're living for it. Um, So, yes, make sure you join the Facebook group. And, uh, yeah, other than that, send us your feedback. And we will see you next Friday right here uh, for another podcast. So enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your summer. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. it's not like I don't have my favorite dead white guys I do but we just have more than that <laughs> I like how you say I like how you say it's like we celebrate Beethoven's birthday even though he's dead like he's fine <laughs> he's fine he's not gonna know he's not even gonna know right doing what the composer would have wanted he's not gonna know he's in the ground anyway lydia okay. he is he's listening from the skies oh my god he is watching I from heaven <laughs> no every every yeah music conductor across the country just like kiss their fingers and look to the sky like this what's for you barry